It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod, and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It was 46 years ago uh, that the British Army moved in on a demonstration in Londonderry which ended with 14 civilians being shot dead. It's universally agreed that it was a shameful episode in the history of the Troubles in Northern Ireland but what it was not was a deliberately planned act of cold-blooded murder. A £200 million inquiry led by Lord Savile in 2010 concluded that the paratroopers from the British Army had lost control of the situation and it quickly ratcheted out of control and into terrible, terrible events uh, that we all know about. Now, though, one individual soldier, known only as Sergeant O, is facing prosecution for attempted murder. Could there ever be a bigger betrayal by this government against one of its loyal servants? After all, uh, he was just following orders, wasn't he? 0344 499 Katie Perry is here this morning with me, and I'll be asking her how she fancies her beloved Kent being turned into a giant lorry park after March of next year. And we'll be discovering just how exactly swimming in the sea off the coast of Devon could be so dangerous. 0344 499 you listen to me, Mike Graham, and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We've got lots to talk about. Colonel Bob Stewart's going to be joining us first up as well. But first of all, a very good morning to you, Katie. Welcome uh, to what can be described as a very beautiful Wednesday morning here in London it's town. It's lovely. Uh, I have unfortunate news to report, though, and that is that my uh, the mother of my children and my two children... Uh, are currently languishing somewhere in the middle of uh, uh, Europe, trying to get from Brussels to Frankfurt so on a train. They've got the other side, yeah. but they haven't got any further. Well, do you know that guy Nisbet, who's now working for the, um, the yeah, rail organisation? Very nice man. Very nice man. He got into loads of trouble the other day for saying, basically, that uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the trains in Europe are just as bad as the trains are here. In fact, they're worse. And I'm going to be telling you quite how much worse they are, because this is not a good situation. First of all, though, uh, we want to talk about Northern Ireland. We want to talk about the troubles in Northern Ireland. Bloody Sunday uh, was, as I said before, a very, very, I mean, unfortunate episode, shameful episode, if you like, caused by an awful lot of problems on both sides of the divide. We're about to speak to Colonel Bob Stewart, uh, who, of course, was uh, a, a servant in the in the British Army in many, many places, including in Bosnia, where I first came across him, but also in Northern Ireland as well. Let's find out what he makes of this ridiculous story that we're reading about this morning. Uh, Colonel Bob, very good morning to you. Morning. Good Thanks morning. very much indeed for joining us. Now, um, I can't remember, Bob, if you were involved uh, in Northern Ireland around the time of the early 70s. Mm. I know you were there at certain points, but I mean, this story in which it would appear an, in, an individual soldier is, is possibly going to face prosecution for what happened there is nonsensical, isn't it? Yes, I was around at the time. 
And I remember the incident. I remember Bloody Sunday. Mm. I wasn't actually in Northern Ireland at the time, but I was there before and immediately afterwards. Right, OK. Yeah, yeah it is absolutely stupid, this. I mean, um, e- even the, what we hear, the charges are silly, that the, the people are complaining that they were hurt years later yeah. by, you know, chipped masonry. Yeah. This is appalling. Let's, do, let's get this clear. I mean, I've said this in the House of Commons, and my position is totally straight on this matter. Uh-huh. In 1998, the Good Friday Agreement, on the run terrorists, and terrorists who had been convicted in prisons were let out or given letters of comfort, so-called. Yes, um, not very, basically given full amnesty, right? Well, they weren't given full amnesty, but they were given letters of comfort. Now, um, that was the political decision. So why the hell can't a political decision be made now to protect our soldiers? I just don't get it. Um, I've said this repeatedly in the House of Commons, and I, I will repeat it again on your show today. These soldiers should be given a political, not amnesty, because they've done nothing wrong. They acted within the rules of engagement, uh, obeying the yellow card. But this is absolutely absurd that people uh, like Sergeant O, for example, and uh, and someone and Dennis, who's I I know, who's actually been hounded mm. by the Northern Ireland Police Service. Why don't they actually concentrate their efforts on trying to get the terrorists who actually shot so many innocent people, who seem to be getting away with it scot-free, rather than actually going on men who and some women, by the way, and some women because I operated with women occasionally too, um, who actually were doing a very dangerous job for all of us. It is just absurd. I'm, I'm absolutely um, very angry about it. Now, Colonel Stewart, when I was at number 10 Downing Street, Sir Michael Fallon, the former Defence Secretary, was absolutely as angry as you are this morning uh, about this subject area. And he would bring it up at the Cabinet table and he would constantly push the government. So if he, if he cannot change the rules when he was in that top kind of rule, that role, why do you think the government is not budging in the way we'd like them to? They're petrified of the provisional, uh, sorry, uh, PSF um, uh, and the politicians in Northern Ireland. I mean, the the opposition in Northern Ireland to the uh, legislative uh, assembly um, are actually saying that everyone should get an amnesty. I fundamentally disagree with that. I understand the DUP who's saying that they can't agree with that. I think that people who are acting for the government, who are acting in good faith and who acted under rules of engagement in uniform for all of us, deserve our full support. And this is not full support when you're hounding men in their 70s. Why can't the government do it? God knows. Well, your, 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 your fellow Tory MP, Johnny Mercer, is also pretty outraged by this. He's quoted as saying, I cannot fathom why ministers are not directly interfering in this process. Because as you say, Bob, the actual cases themselves, the two people who are, who are being uh, complained about as the victims here, are people who were hit and, and caused very minor injuries to uh, by what was described as a bit of masonry here, uh, you know, a little bit of something falling off a building there. It was not as if they'd got a bullet or anything like that. Quite. But, but even so, um, even so, if there was fatality, I'm talking about fatality shootings as well, yeah. where the military were involved. And by the way, the, the Royal Oster Constabulary as well. I mean, frankly, I just don't understand why, and I'm afraid it comes to the Prime Minister, why the Prime Minister doesn't actually say, right, we are going to give an, a 
there will be no prosecution of soldiers. I'm not going to use the word amnesty because amnesty implies they've done something wrong. Yeah. They've done nothing wrong. They have acted on, in, in, for us to protect us and we need to protect them now. End of. Yeah. And also, is it not a rather bad precedent to set that individual soldiers who are, as you say, carrying out orders? I mean, it's one thing if you decide to go after those who gave the orders and say, well, they shouldn't have done that. And, and I wouldn't agree with that either, by the way. But I mean, you can't go after people who were taking orders and following orders and doing what they were doing, surely? Well, you, the point is, everyone, if someone has committed a clear act of murder, murder is different. Mm. Murder is different. If a soldier commits murder, he's got to be brought uh, brought to trial. Of course he has, or she. That, that is right. But these were not those instances. And with regard to they, all soldiers in Northern Ireland, the decision to open fire is theirs under the rules of engagement. Yeah. So you can say, I mean, people could say, right, you can fire, uh, but the orders always say, always fire when you think it's right to do so. Yes. And that was the understanding that they all operated under in that situation. We all operated, and we sp had spent hours looking and understanding the so-called yellow card, the rules of engagement in Northern Ireland, yeah. which we all carried in our breast pocket when we were on operations. The biggest concern I have, Colonel Stewart, is the fact is that whilst this continues, whilst these, these soldiers always continually face the possibility of prosecution, we can never get over what happened. We can never move on from what happened in those dark days because uh, it keeps on coming up again. And the only people that are going to win are the lawyers, which cost lots and lots of money from the state and elsewhere to prosecute uh, these people who are in their 70s. No one benefits from this scenario, do they? Well, I, I don't think the soldiers do. And uh, I love the phrase, a lot of people say, let's move on. People that say, let's move on, have lost their friend, mother, their brother, their sister, their husband, their wife. I tell you what, it's bloody difficult to move on when yeah. you've actually lost a relative or a friend. It is very, very difficult. Colonel Bob, thank you very much. I know you haven't got much time. Uh, the line appears to be breaking up. Colonel Bob Stewart there, who did serve in Northern Ireland uh, before Bloody Sunday and after Bloody Sunday as well, knows what he's talking about. Uh, and I know the man to be personally a uh, very fine, upstanding member uh, of society. Now, uh, we're going to speak now to Graham Littlejohn, who's the Deputy Director of the Scotch Whiskey Association, because, I don't know, it's not really the weather for Scotch whiskey at the moment. Not in, in London, anyway. It's a little bit hot. I mean, I'll drink a bit of Scotch uh, in the wintertime. Can't you put it into cocktails and things? Well, you can do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can do. If you happen to be near a cocktail bar, then good luck to you, yeah. We should do some kind of whiskey tasting. We've done champagne tasting. Yeah. We've done that kind of sparkling English wine We've done tasting. wine, yeah. We've done gin. We've done a lot of pies. Done pies all over the Lots place. Of all pies. right, well, let's do whiskey. But let's do it when it gets a bit more wintry, okay, shall we? all right. But let's talk to Graham because uh, he's got some good news, apparently, about the visitor numbers in Scotland because of whiskey. Graham, a very good uh, morning to you. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. No, not at all. Um, so, people are visiting Scotland. I hope it's easier to get to than it is Germany on the train at this point. Yes, it seems so. Um, I mean, last year we had record uh, a record number of visitors coming to Scotch whisky distilleries. Uh, 1.9 million visits in total in in 2017. Wow, that's up over 11 percent on the, the the previous year. So, really good news for the Scotch whisky industry, which you may not know is the UK's biggest food and drink export and are, are really centrally important to the, the the health of the economy. Now, I know all about drinking it, Graham, but what can you see when you go and visit? Well, our, our member companies, Scotch whisky producers across Scotland, have 
uh, really invested in their visitor experience over, over the last few years. There's been uh, an upgrade to the McCallum distillery in Speyside recently, £140 million there. Diageo have just announced the new Johnny Walker uh, visitor centre in Edinburgh and upgrades to other uh, distillery centres uh, across Scotland. What, what people can see there is they can obviously taste the product great and you can have a, a cocktail in the summer, Mike, that's not a problem at all, or you can have it neat with a little bit of water in the winter. But they can also learn about the story of Scotch and Scotch whisky is an industry which has been going on for over 500 years now um, and it's really developed into this global product which is enjoyed in 180 markets across the world. Well, it's one of the great uh, things that is mentioned often by the SNP, isn't it, when they talk about Scottish independence and they want you know, to be able to harness all the profits and, uh, and become uh, an independent nation supported purely and simply by oil and whisky. Scotch is, Scotch is a great product for, for Scotland. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we, we contribute massively to the economy. 40,000 jobs depend on the Scotch whisky industry, and we're a huge contributor to the economic health of the country. Now, a lot of that is in taxation, and you know, as we look ahead to the autumn budget, we're going to be calling on the Chancellor to support Scotch this autumn uh, by reducing the tax burden. I mean, you might not know, and tourists are certainly surprised to learn that uh, £3 of every £4 spent on Scotch whisky in the UK goes directly to the the, the Treasury. In so 75%, in other words? 75% wow. of the, the price you pay for a bottle of Scotch. That's outrageous, isn't it? And that, that's a, a, a lot higher than, than tourists would spend in their, their own country on, on taxation for, mm. for Scotch. So uh, the Chancellor really needs to support Scotch this autumn by reducing that tax burden. I bet you don't get the French charging that to their winemakers uh, to export that around the world, do you, Graham? Well, interestingly, just as we are uh, leaving the European Union, the, the largest market for Scotch whisky in the world by volume is right on our doorstep, France. Uh, the French love Scotch whisky. They enjoy more Scotch whisky in a month than they enjoy of their own national product, cognac, in an entire year. And part of the reason for that is the more competitive tax rates which the French have for Scotch whisky. Now, it seems to me that as we're leaving the European Union, we should really supporting our, our home products like Scotch, uh, which are really champions on the world stage and not overly taxing them in our home market. Now, it says here a lot largest proportion of visitors come from Germany and, and the US of A. I mean, I can imagine the Americans coming to play a lot of golf and stuff in Scotland. Why the Germans, though? Well, Germany is a huge market for, for Scotch whisky. It's uh, fourth by volume last year, fifth by volume. Very, very popular Scotch whisky market. But you're right, in the United States, a huge lover of Scotch whisky. That's our largest market in the world. So they come across to Scotland to enjoy the golf, to enjoy Scotch whisky, to enjoy the history that Scotland offers. But that's, uh, Scotch whisky is now really part of that, that booming tourism scene in Scotland. And what about the uh, the sort of the whole uh, business of which we dare not speak its name? Brexit come March the twenty ninth. Are you worried about what might happen to uh, tariffs? Are you worried about what might happen to trade? Because obviously, with it being such a massive business, I mean, you may or may not be affected, um, you know, uh, deleteriously. Well, I've already mentioned the B word a couple of times, and uh, <laughs> we're certainly planning for it. Um, you know, like any business, there are going to be ups and downs, and we see some opportunities, but only if we, we deal with the, the short-term consequences of Brexit, and that's getting uh, free access to the, to the single market, which is so important for Scotch. About a third of Scotch whisky goes to the EU. But then after that, we want to see ambitious trade deals with China 
it's good to see the foreign secretary there earlier on the week and, and movement on a free trade agreement with China. But big countries like India and Brazil, agreements with these kind of countries will really be a, a big boom for Scotch whisky. So uh, a lot of short-term work to be done to be done to make sure that Brexit does impact the Scotch whisky industry. But in the long term, we see some opportunities. Now we know about some of the kind of old name brands that we've known about for years that have been around for generations. But are there opportunities for new jobs in Scotland now with new distilleries that are opening? Or is it very much, you know, all for the old boys type of network? I mean, this is one of the really exciting things about Scotch whisky in the last decade or so. A lot of new distilleries have opened up um, and they've included visitor centres as part of their, their business model. You've got the Isle of Rathy, uh, you've got Borders Distillery uh, down in Hoyk. Both of them uh, have, have really exciting uh, uh, Scotch whisky tourism centres now. Um, but this is just a, a, those are just two of a number of new distilleries which have come on stream in the last decade or so because people want to get into the business of Scotch whisky. It is a, a very, uh, it, it's a great industry to, to be involved with. And uh, as, I've, as I've explained, it really does have a, a great impact on the economy. Yeah, it's a wonderful uh, drink. I mean, I'm a bit of a, a fan of uh, some of the malts uh, at uh, various times of the winter time. Do you know, I think foreigners, say. it's the kind of thing, I was on a bus yesterday mm. and I met someone, a woman from Japan and she said, you look around the buildings that you're working in, yeah. in Westminster, they are incredible. Yeah. And of course, we don't appreciate them because we're coming in and out of them yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in and out of the House of Parliament, one of the best buildings in the world, yeah. may I add, and I don't really appreciate it. And it's, it's a bit like Scotch. I think probably foreigners that come to visit probably appreciate it a lot more than we do. Mm. And yet it's something that we can access and uh, we can you know, take a well, couple of days up to Scotland. It's, and a bit a like, it's, also, it's a bit like how it's presented as well. I mean, I, I lived in Glasgow for a few years, Graham, and my parents are actually from up there. And, and, you know, there are certain places you go in Glasgow and Edinburgh, certain bars, certain hotels where the bars are sort of done out entirely sort of around the whiskey. And you, know, you can go for tastings and you can try one from, you know, one part of the country, another part a bit more peaty from the Isle of Skye or something like that. And you get, you get into it. You do actually do. When you go to Scotland, that's when you drink whiskey. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm liking this. Graham, will you come in and do a tasting session for us at Talk Radio? Absolutely, not a problem at all. There you go, job Marvelous. done. Top man. We'll make sure it's in the winter though, not when it's really, really hot. No, we're going to uh... do cocktails. Stop no, being such a miserable. Any time of year, mate. Any time of year. Okay, now I'm going to put you on the spot now though, because I'm going to ask you for your favourite whiskey. <laughs> you would, you would, uh, you would, uh, for the Scotch whiskey industry. You know, I love all Scotch whiskey. Of course, you do. Uh, I'm a fan of a blend over a single malt. Are you? I think blends are, are, are underexplored. You know, in a, in a blend of Scotch whiskey, you've got anything up to 60 different yeah. Scotch whiskeys in there to get the perfect blend. You should explore some blends more. I'm a bit of a space-eyed man, but there's okay. lots of people out there who will go straight for the smoky ones from Isla. Yeah, I see, I've always imagined that, I used to quite like a Laphroaig, but I, I've always imagined that, say, things like Johnny Walker Blue were just a kind of rip-off to get, to get the Americans hooked in. You know, you charge some of it 75 quid, uh, and it's uh, really, really old and they'll buy it because i was once told and you can tell me whether this is true that anything older than 12 years in a whiskey is not really any different from a 12 year old anyway it depends on a number of factors i mean scotch whiskey has to be at least three years old yeah. has to uh, be matured in scotland in oak casks for at least three years but many of the whiskies will sit there longer as you rightly say uh, eight ten twelve years is common but Scotch whiskies can be as old as 60 years old. And it's really the combination of the, the weather, the, the, the contact with the old cask, and the, the, the skill of the master distillers that, that really adds into the, the flavour of, uh, of, of scotches. Now, you'll get a, a lot of different flavour combinations from a lot of different scotches. So there's a lot to explore out there. There is. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Indeed. Let's talk to Bruce, uh, who's up in uh, Angus. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hello there, Mike and uh, Katie, is it? Yes. It is yes, Katie hello. today, yes. What would you like to say? How are your beaches up in Angus? Oh, well, we've got a beautiful beach uh, in a place called Lunan Bay, just uh, oh, yeah. Mont- Montrose, and Montrose Beach is fantastic ah. as well. Okay, lovely. I mean, I think uh, I was up in Carnoustie a few years back in the summertime, and it wasn't very warm, I have to say. No. I mean, right. it's the most difficult golf course I think I've ever played in my life. Oh, yeah, right. So what can you tell us? Well, all of us, you, you know, you were speaking about your golf club, Yeah, Mike. I was. Well, do you know what the what golf stands for? What does it stand for? Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. <laughs> That's <laughs> only at Muirfield, I thought, isn't it? Eh? Is that not only at Muirfield? No, that, that, I was in the very early days. They were wondering what to call the game, you see. Yes. And it was more of a, it was like a men's club away back, you see. Well, that was when everything was for men only, wasn't it, though? Well, I suppose so. Yeah. And there's a lot, you see the golf clubs, it's filled, there's loads of Freemasons and golf clubs too, you know. Is that mm. right? Are, oh, you, yeah. are you a member mm-hmm. of a golf club? Are you a golfer, Bruce? No, I'm not. I like watching it, though. Oh, OK. I mean, oh, I, when, I, when I was up in Scotland, um, and I lived there from sort of, I don't know, 2002 till about 2008. Yeah. Um, there was an awful lot of uh, golf being played, but not an awful lot of women playing golf, I didn't think. No. You were at Linlithgow, Mike, yeah. Uh, I was in Linlithgow for a while. I was in Glasgow for a bit as well. That's right, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. So I, I used the opportunity to play an awful lot of the wonderful golf courses all around oh, the place. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, no, it was good stuff. Thank you very much there indeed. A, Mike, there was another thing I was wondering. Yeah, go on. Pardon? Go on, go ahead. Do you keep Mike? Do you keep Mike Parry locked up all week until Friday? Yes. Very wise. Yes. Very wise. I lock him in a, a Weatherspoons down in Surrey. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, okay. he doesn't object. Okay, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care. Bruce there, a very fine man from uh, Angus. Have you ever been to uh, Angus? No, I don't think so. I, did, no. I was taken on a camper van tour, like a mini Winnebago, but about a third of the size oh, yeah. of Scotland. Can mm. you imagine from Kent? To Jeez, Scotland, that's a long way, isn't it? Two weeks in a camper van yeah. where I nearly killed my brother over right. a period of time. Uh-huh. Plus, I was obsessed with a particular band yeah. at that time, so I made my parents Which listen. Which band? Wilson Phillips. Wilson Phillips? Yeah. No. Yeah. We'll have to find some Wilson Phillips, And I please. made them listen all the way up there and all the way back to the same cassette. Right. All the way. Into the, even to this day, my brother is like in his 40s now. I can so imagine you as a very just, chippy sort of teenager. Oh, I was a pain in the backside. I bet you were, yeah. Utter back pain. Utter pain. Yeah, I can absolutely imagine that. Let's talk to Mike, who's up in York. Hello, Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, afternoon, you two. Afternoon. afternoon. How are you doing up there? 
it's beautiful there. No, I've seen. A, I saw a headline in one of the papers this morning that said that the weather's great in the south, but it's grim up north. Well, it must be very up far Scotland where you used to live. Then, <laughs> it's not here. <laughs> it's not, well, York is a beautiful city, so it's very rarely grim there, is it? It's a privilege to live here. Too. It's a lovely place. It's a very nice place. Yeah, what have you got for us today, Mike? Uh, mainly, I think it's a bit academic in inheritance tax because by the time I've got to um, inheritance tax and pop my clogs, the NHS and the curse system will take all my assets. <laughs> well, I'm afraid many people will be in the same boat, I suppose. But but it's all part of the same thing, isn't it? Because there are ways of avoiding them taking all of your stuff, isn't there? Only, <laughs> only you've got Amazon-type accountants. For the rest of us, we pay our way, which is unusual. But yeah, I but I mean, no, but you don't have to. I mean, it's not a question of paying your way. It's a question of not giving. I mean, I don't feel at all. I mean, I'm sure there'll be loads of socialists, as I say, who'll have a go at me because I should be paying more tax. But, you know, I have no reason to give loads of money to the government because all they'll do is waste it. Well, they squander it like there's no tomorrow. Exactly. But, <laughs> but the, the thing is, of course, is um, take care, for instance. Now, we have the privilege of having an iPad in front of us today. Mm-hmm. David Cameron promised he pledged a cap on uh, set at seventy two thousand for your cur right. costs. Okay. Well he pledged it and then he polished it off. <laughs> well yeah, he pledged a lot of things, didn't he? They they Cameron. can yeah, they're really struggling to work out a plan for adult adult social care system in the UK because it's so costly. No insurance provider wants to touch it at the moment or the government's trying to persuade them of otherwise uh, but you're quite right you know as we say for our, our old age we get to the point where we then have to give it all to the state because we need to go in a care home yeah at least it turpin wore a mask but can i just also pick you up on two points though yes the first thing is when you've only got twenty three thousand five hundred in assets then they leave you alone yes until correct. then they rob you blind. Yes. And if they rob you blind, because what I can't understand with curons is when you've got a lot of money, they charge you a thousand a month. Yeah. So, a thousand a week. When, oh, whatever. Yeah, but thousand a week. When, but when the government has to take it over because they're taking all your money, it's only £500 a week. Yeah. Now, how does that work? Well, they just think of a number, clearly, don't they? They get they get contracts whereby they can offer cheaper ones to yeah. social housing, and the rest of us that are not in that social housing bracket have to pay the full whack. We are basically well, it's in a, a nice way sub- system. It's a two tier system, and we are subsidising those that don't have the money, basically. And can I can I? Just it's like the fact that it's like when I go to the doctors, right, and I have to pay for a prescription. I'm generally speaking, waiting behind loads and loads of people who don't pay, which is wrong, in my view. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Can, can, can I just touch on Tommy Robinson, if I, if I may? If you want to. Um, what I can't understand is, OK, Tommy Robinson might be the nicest person in the world, but when we had the Orgreave pub, uh, public inquiry, mm. the uh, Independent Police Complaints Authority found uh, perjury and perverting the course of justice by the police. Uh-huh. Now, if you go on to put those terms, apply those those penalties to Tommy Robinson, why not to the police who altered and changed and that? Well, they'd have to, well, they, well, presumably they'd have to identify individuals who did that and then prosecute them. That's what they'd have to do. OK, well, latest one with Cliff Richard, wasn't it, where he all held up them underpants? Yes. Clear picture of a policeman breaching... Um... I think breaching and underpants shouldn't be mentioned in the same sentence, but carry on. <laughs> 
but you know where I'm coming from anyway, don't you? I do, but I mean, again, we've talked about this. I don't know whether that is a breaking of the law situation or just a kind of a, a, a rather bad taste manoeuvre by somebody trying to get some publicity for himself, you know? I don't it's know. Showing, it's showing, is actually showing evidence. Well, I don't know if it is evidence if there is never a prosecution. It's not actually evidence unless it's part of a prosecution. So technically, it's not evidence. Do you know what, so I mean? what we've got, what we've got anyway, is a two. I take, I take, I take your point. However, I think the whole situation with Tommy Robinson should not be held up as any kind of special case. Tommy Robinson is not a special case. Okay, he's an idiot uh, who breaks the law. And when he breaks the law, he's surprised that he gets punished for it. Now, I don't know what they're going to say about the sentencing uh, initially about whether or not he was sentenced in error. But basically, he went into a court of law, pleaded guilty, uh, and was under a suspended sentence, so then had to be jailed. It's as simple as that. Now, whether okay. they're going to, when they rehear the case at the Old Bailey, which is going to be as soon as possible, apparently, we will discover what it is that the appeal has been partially granted for. But at the moment, we don't really know what that is. Well, let's get technical here, then. Jurisprudence is called fairness. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jurisprudence is fairness. So if I get done speeding, yeah, I've got to go. I get fined a hundred pound and got to go on a bad boys course. Sometimes, not always. Yeah, so... Not everybody gets treated. <laughs> no, but not everybody gets treated the same way, do they? They don't. Uh, but that said, okay, someone burgled and I, I've done it. Complete innocence. Okay. Person burgles a house and for the umpteenth time is let off with a caution and doing community hours. I'm not sure that's true, though. If you do it for the umpteenth oh, time, you know, no, the reason that a lot of burglars find their way into prison is because they're repeat offenders. The, well, bo- the bottom line about well, the bottom line about this, Mike, is if you are on a suspended sentence, right? The whole point of a suspended sentence is that you, for a period of time, are meant to behave. If you break that suspended sentence and you misbehave and you break the law again, then you go inside. It's as simple as that. Um, well, Isn't I've it? got it on the iPad at the moment, but I can give you names actual names where they've done 30-odd uh, offences in burglary. And uh, my next-door neighbour is one of the victims. Mm. And um, it's still out. Well, I would be astonished burglary. if that's true. It may, it may be that uh, there's a pro- I, You know, I'm not an expert in, the, in the, the sentencing of burglars. However, what I will tell you is it's unusual if somebody commits a, a whole load of series of crimes, they don't end up in jail. That, that would be wrong. Um, I'm just putting it in now. York proof. York um, offenders, repeat offenders. And I could give you names if you want. Well, I don't really want you, you to. Well, Tommy Robinson's I mean, a repeat offender because he's been, you know, he's yeah. been I mean, the convicted reason, beforehand. The point, the point about it is, I know what point you're trying to make, Mike, and it's a bogus one because he was under a suspended sentence and he was specifically warned by the judge who gave him that suspended sentence, if you do this again, you're going to jail. He did it again, he went to jail. End of story. Now, you might argue he went to jail for too long, but that's within the, the purview of the of the courts. <laughs> but you've got to go back to... I mean, you, know when, you know when you have these conversations on Talk Sport and they say, don't give the referee the opportunity to send you off. So, you know, don't commit an offence which is likely to cause you to be sent off. If he, if he commits an offence which is, he knows he's going to send him back to jail, he pleads guilty to it, what's the judge going to do? He's going to send him back. Well... You see what I mean? I don't think it's not in not in our world. I'm just reading one now. Repeat offender. He was jailed for ten months. Well, I can't. So he was jailed then. So yeah, he, he was jailed. So he was jailed. And then he's out. He's out after five. Yeah, well, you can't you know, keep him there forever. You can't, you, you can't send somebody to jail forever for burglary. That's not in the, in the penal code, I'm afraid. Well, I mean, maybe you should go. I'll leave it with. I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I know you may think your iPad is the font of all knowledge, but it isn't. It's better, unfortunately, Mike. It's better than newspapers these days. 
Uh, well, it's partly because newspapers are now unavailable on iPads. Well, the other thing is, is Wikipedia. <laughs> Don't believe Wikipedia, for God's sake, man. There's nothing good on Wikipedia. <laughs> Trust me. People edit their own pages on Wikipedia. <laughs> It's free. <laughs> anyway, it's free. Yeah, great. There you go. Mike in York there. The, uh, should we make him our um, newspaper correspondent? Yes. Media correspondent. He's a re- head of I've regional got it, news. I've got, it, I've got it here in my iPad. <laughs> like it's some kind of magic box, you know. Bless him. I know. God bless you. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.